0: Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Front Lounge with Congos. We are Congos and this is the first podcast we're doing from the road. We're sitting in a hotel room in Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada. It's freezing outside and winter has begun.
1: Yeah, it's uh, snowy, cloudy, foggy, mountainy.
2: We've been pretty lucky so far that we started on the west coast in San Francisco, and went up to Portland, Seattle, Vancouver and had pretty much good weather all the way in the middle of winter, which is kind of unusual. So now we feel like we're we're getting into it. We're heading towards Calgary, and then we've got Winnipeg coming up, which apparently is going to be minus 10 or something when we get there. So everyone on the bus is starting to get out their boots and gloves and scarves and f- foot warmers.
3: Everybody's clothes make a lot more noise now.
0: Yeah, Danny got this awesome jacket, but he didn't realize... It was noisy because it's waterproof. It's got that kind of scratchy... Kind of like this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I took... I've been doing, uh, in the weather app, adding every single venue or city we're going to in order. So you can just see how our progress is. And the next 10 days is just this downward drop of temperatures Mm. until we get to, I think, when...
3: Winnipeg must be the lowest.
0: Yeah. It's going to be negative 15 there when we
2: get there on saturday or friday um shows have been great yeah. though i mean we we didn't quite know what to expect because the album's not out uh, other than you know for patreon users and ticket holders so very few people have, have heard it so far but you know from the first show we saw people in the front of the s- uh, crowd singing to new songs and that's always a very encouraging thing in the end it, we we took us a few sets to get our set right but i think we've we're kind of on the way now and the energy just cranks over the course of the Seattle minutes. was,
3: I think, one of the best shows in years.
0: Yeah, I feel it was a bit depressed when that show was happening because I thought uh oh! What if it's not better than this from here on out? Because it, it was such a good show, I'd I'd say one of the better shows in America, perhaps ever. Yeah. Um, it you know it's we talk about the set list. We you know you can plan as much as you want a set list and think it's perfect, but until you play one or two shows in front of a crowd, you have no idea whether it's going to work or not and we learned that you know we were like 75% right and then we just saw that certain songs
2: were completely wrongly placed um, in terms of the vibe of energy of a crowd yeah the other thing I'm kind of excited about is uh, the acoustic set for the VIP we've changed our setup a little bit I'm I'm now playing a tiny little drum set where um, it's just a hi-hat a, a snare and instead of a kick drum we bought a cajon which is sort of a it's like a box, basically. Did we talk about this in the last podcast? I can't remember. I don't think no. so. It's no. just a... What is it's, it? So, it's it's a Latin American instrument, mostly, and, um, you know, it's a it's a square wooden box, basically, that you sit on, and for the most part, you hit it with your hands, and it has sort of a low, boxy sound, but they put little snare wires on the back, so it's got a bit of a fizz to it as well. You, you've probably seen it in, you know, acoustic gigs or uh, certain types of music. I Personally, I... I don't like the instrument unless it's played in, in a traditional way, but you see a lot of bands using it for the purpose of, of stripped-down sets, and it just sounds corny to me. But we found a little workaround, which is basically to use it as a kick drum, where you put a pedal, a uh, kick drum pedal that has a remote um, beater, and so I sit on it and hit it. I don't hit it with my hands at all. It's just a cool little kick drum uh, but i'm i'm playing drums in the acoustic set which is kind of exciting for me because yeah. i'm a mediocre guitar player
0: <laughs> the cajon definitely if, if we did it the other way we just have a bit of a venice beach drum circle vibe and now it just feels like this tight little band and it's we keep talking we're adding and learning more songs for this acoustic set so we can flip things around and change them out you know every other day but we keep thinking we should start moving more and more towards this Uh, just really stripped down set it's it's really freeing and fun to be able to just try whatever we want you know as our full set yeah as the full set like
1: also we could just we could literally travel around in
2: a little smart car
1: um, (laughs) on tour with the with the amount of gear that it requires
2: yeah not quite but yeah it's it's certainly uh you know if if we ever had to if I ever had to lug my own drums around, I would definitely play this. You know, <laughs> you can strap it on your shoulder pretty much my entire setup.
0: We've, I've also been reminded on this tour what it's like to play on a stage. Um, we get used to playing in a studio with in ears and everything sounds perfect and dead and dry. And that first gig in San Francisco was like playing in an echo chamber hall thing. It was particularly bad on stage listening to it you know because you it's such a massive room that everything just reverberates around so it's this problem of venues that look really cool often sound not very cool because the one in vancouver which is basically just a square box that used to be a theater and is all soundproofed was the best listening experience on stage that i've had you know mm. yeah
2: it's not always the same for us as it is for the audience you know um because i think those rooms sounded pretty good out front but it's on stage where the subwoofers are rumbling and you just get this build-up of frequencies that it's like you're playing underwater, you know? But um, we're professionals. We fucking get through it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Dylan, how many people have you recruited for your yoga school so far on tour? <laughs>
1: um, so far, Colton. Yeah, Colton, yeah, he's, uh, he's really amped to start doing yoga with me. Um, well, all of you guys now are doing yoga. All, all the brothers are doing yoga.
2: So it's it's like the most rock and roll tour I've ever seen or been on. You know, we've got four dads, and we've got at least six, seven people practicing yoga kind of <laughs> daily.
1: Yeah, Max from Fitness is. Uh, he's also a, in doing yoga. He's a uh, well, I you guys. Yeah, I p- met him in my Ashtanga class. Yes, yeah. so, where he was in it um, before I even knew who he was.
0: I was doing yoga in the venue in Portland and all the crew was setting up and all the local crew was helping Mo and I thought if I had the balls to pull off a prank of telling Mo to tell the rest of the crew to be really quiet and stop swearing while I was doing yoga and just be a real yoga diva, (laughs) I don't know if I could have committed to it because one of the guys actually got a laugh because he came in, uh, I forget who he was, the stage manager, local stage manager, and he saw me doing yoga and he came up to me afterwards at the end of the night. He says, I had this, I thought, oh, okay, the guy's in the band, pretty serious band. And the first thing I said when I finished yoga was they were putting up our banner or our backdrop behind us. I said, it looks like a giant cock and balls (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) that shattered any myth that we're a serious bunch.
3: Um, you do you do it's funny how you feel this need to um, distance yourself from any kind of stereotype in any direction you know what I mean yeah Yeah. well
2: yoga stereotypes are particularly pretty uh, bad in this country you know yoga in India is is an ancient tradition and it's and it's clearly a sacred practice it's kind of become a very (laughs) commercial fashionable thing here so When you see white dudes doing yoga, you often associate it with like, hey, man, just love everybody, man. We're going to go to Cafe Gratitude for lunch. You want (laughs) to come?
0: This tour so far has been fun, really fun. You know, the fitness, we've known Kenny and Max for a little while. You've probably heard them on the podcast. I'm sure we'll get them on this time through. But we had no idea uh, the kind of how quickly we're going to get into joking you know you never know with people what it's going to be like living on a bus with them and uh it's already like we've been together touring for months you know really kind of fun environment so we'll talk about that when we get them on the podcast um but also surprisingly it was a day off today and usually we have bus parties the night before but in the front lounge it was just like very deep philosophical conversation what were you guys talking about i forget I was trying to play techno music, and you guys kept telling me to turn down.
3: We were having the philosophical conversation about whatever we're talking, and then I went back to the back lounge, and Kenny was playing Red Dead Redemption. So (laughs) I stuck around and watched him skin crocodiles and (laughs) do whatever you do in that game. I think everyone was just tired. We we
1: played three shows out of the four days that week, and then we had... Yeah, so if our voices also sound a little croaky, it's because we had an early morning acoustic thing for the radio station. Then we had our own acoustic uh, performance and then we had a full set. And so by the end of the day, we were kind of just like, let's sit around and talk shit for <laughs> a while instead of listening to techno music. I,
2: uh, I ate Indian food, I think three out of the five days since we left Four, maybe, maybe four out of the five days. Yeah, we can I, tell. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I just run out of ideas cause there's so many options, especially in like Seattle and Portland and, uh, Vancouver's restaurants around the venue you can pretty much get any kind of food you want and and uh, it's like a fail safe for me although last night's Indian was quite disappointing <laughs> yeah you and that's
0: strange because Vancouver is one of the best food cities but the venue we played in Vancouver is a really cool venue but it's in a district which is right near I guess there kind of skid row it's, there's a lot of needle exchanges and uh welfare outreach programs so it's a pretty crazy scene around the venue and when we go on stage you go back out into the alley behind the stage and you know there's 15 or 20 people there like doing heroin or smoking crack like right there outside the venue so it's a really insane scene
2: yeah they
1: last time we didn't we didn't walk uh from backstage to stage because the floor of the alleyway was so covered in needle caps that like everyone was actually concerned about stepping on stuff so they this time they sweeped it and had to clean it and yeah um,
2: heavy friggin' vibe in that part of town i mean vancouver is known for being one of the most beautiful sort of clean you know modern progressive cities and it is and and then you know like a lot of big cities there's just these districts where uh this stuff goes on and it's heavy. I mean, we walking to breakfast, it must be 100, 200 people just along the street, you know, homeless and living that life and trying to get through the day.
1: I mean, just in those couple blocks that we walked, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's thousands. I, I, when I walked up to the hotel, it's it's one of the most bizarre scenes. Yeah, to it's walk it's, through. It's, it's It feels very apocalyptic. It's
0: almost like that in the season of The Wire where they create a drug-free zone and one of the police commissioners not a drug kind of a
2: zone where they won't decriminalize zone
0: yeah so i don't know what the status is i you know heroin is not legal here but it just seems like they've re-prioritized um, what they're going to focus on which is trying to basically help people rather than locking up someone who's addicted to heroin. So I'd imagine, it's hard to imagine when you're there because it just looks like chaos. But I'd imagine overall, the city has improved because they've had these pro- uh, programs and these outreaches. And yeah, everything. I'd imagine
1: it does too. Every city that they've tried doing needle exchanges and kind of rehabilitation instead of incarceration stuff, it's helped. The, yeah. And it helps addiction problems. Um,
0: but I mean, I guess we seem to be doing this Tour so far, two out of the four venues have been in these areas because the one in San Francisco was also in the mm. that district. Now it feels even crazier a little bit than Vancouver. Vancouver feels a little more controlled and less uh, uh, threateningly dangerous. It just seems more like you know down and out people uh, having a rough time. But San Francisco feels a little more aggressive and dangerous. Maybe it's just the American Canadian typical different difference between the two cultures. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, drugs are bad. <laughs> Let me tell you, the fucking posters have been selling like crazy. Except for the, Vancouver. Oh, yeah, Vancouver. That's because there's me on the poster. And it's I cash took only. It, I took it okay. personally. Oh, yeah, I took it personally. Yeah, Who who carries around that much cash. That's, cash?
1: that's the problem. Yeah, so if if you guys are listening and you're coming to our Canadian shows, prepare um, because um, Colton, who's doing merch, we don't have access to international um Credit card, credit card swiping, basically. So while we're up here, so it has to be cash. Um, so yeah, if you want posters, um, prepare. But yeah, they have been other every other day. They've sold out, so it was just cool. There's only twenty per city. Um, I'll
0: do a quick interruption here. This is a an ad. It's not really an ad. We're still sitting here. And we haven't actually changed anything. But wanted to let you know if you're listening to this to subscribe also to our Facebook Messenger channel. Um, as you know, I'm sure you're following us everywhere. The funny thing is that we have still got a difficult time reaching people when we want to let them know about something cool that we're doing, like bus call or a tour or whatever. Um, And that's because of all the Facebook and Instagram algorithms. So what we're doing is we've started this Facebook Messenger channel because obviously there's like a billion people using Messenger. And kind of similar to how we do the Patreon channel and this podcast, we'll be offering certain exclusives for people that are on the Messenger channel just because it's it's a more direct way for us to be able to reach people And that is kind of the perpetual struggle uh, of a band in this day and age is reaching fans, you know, letting them know what they're doing and what we're up to. You know, the amount of people we've been going to radio things and saying, hey, have you heard of Bus Call? And it's
2: surprising how many, how few people haven't of actual fans, you know. Well, to give you an idea, so we have 200 and something thousand fans on Facebook. These are people who have voluntarily chosen to follow us and, you know, quote, become a fan. And in order for us to get a message to them, it costs would cost what a thousand dollars or something like that to
1: reach all of them. Yeah, uh, more than that, it would just like it, I it doesn't even give me the option <laughs> of trying to reach all of fans. It's yeah, it's way too expensive. I you saw a post
0: that Colton was doing on Facebook today, and it, you, we keep you get these messages all day long. It says this post is performing eighty five percent better than your previous posts. Would you like to spend a thousand dollars to boost it? It's like they think we're suckers, and we kind of are sometimes because every now and then you do have to boost a post to try and you know promote a show or something. So anyway, go to um, our Messenger channel, which is as simple as going to our Facebook page and sending us a message, and we'll be posting links about how to connect to that also. And that'll subscribe you to that. And it's just a much more direct way for us to let you know about stuff that we're doing. So that's our in-house advertisement for for the week. Thank you for listening
2: to this message.
0: <laughs> uh, we, I was just...
3: Red Dead Redemption. Yeah,
0: I was just in the back lounge with Kenny... And he was playing. He's on like chapter six of this thing. It is unreal. I we've been so out of video games for so long, and yeah. to go back and this is now I guess the ne- It's the next pinnacle of video game design and everything. Yeah, it is I watched, unreal.
1: I watched Mo play whatever game he was playing, and I I wasn't even playing, but I was I was entertained. It was like watching a movie. <laughs> you know.
0: Oh, you got to check out Red Dead Redemption. It's like watching Westworld, where you've got. Uh, you know, control over it. It's a,
3: yeah, like the voice acting is good and stuff like, you know, it's all, uh, it's all high level production outside of even the game side of things. Yeah. I have a
1: friend, Pat, uh, I went to middle school and high school with, and now he's working at PlayStation. So when we were in San Francisco, and you know, shout out to Pat for bringing us all these PlayStation games because we found two PlayStation 4s on the bus and none of us really play video games except well, for one was,
2: on, one was on the bus and Kenny brought his own.
1: No, two were on the bus. Kenny brought his own. So we have three. Oh,
2: right. yeah. <laughs> we could have a whole massive LAN party. And so
1: I texted my friend Pat and I said in exchange for tickets to the show, if he, he could bring us a few games. So he brought us a handful of all these games.
0: Then you you were chatting with him. This is sometime you saw him earlier this year. Just talking about the video game industry and the statistics he gave you was that the video game industry is bigger than the music business, the movie business, the porn business, and I forget what the fourth industry was talking about combined. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, which is insane. Like this uh, Red Dead Redemption game or two. I think it's the second one in the series. Something cost what two hundred fifty million dollars to make yeah
3: mm. 300 people working for 5 years
0: yeah and they made a billion dollars in the first week yeah of it and you, I went, seeing it now I completely get it like and I also completely get why it's becoming harder and harder to sell someone a song or to watch a TV show or anything because, or
3: to get them to go outs- outside yeah like why
0: It's this is so much better in many ways than a lot of things you know it doesn't it doesn't count in the same way that going to see a live concert or certain experiences do but it's you know it's a whole new thing and uh, it feels like it's this close to being once this integrates with VR it's going to be Westworld mm. yeah. you know it's, it's really not, a, not that far away they,
1: they did a billion dollars in a week and that's supposedly not like an anomaly because that same week whoever does uh, Grand Theft Auto did 800 million that, right yeah. and it was like every every big game is just making a billion dollars He I, he was listing some just insane numbers you know Tens of billions of dollars a month that these companies are bringing in on um, video games.
0: Yeah. If it was actually funny, he was talking about how the music department of Sony are basically not even considered. They're like the little ugly stepchild in the corner that the video <laughs> game people laugh at. That you know, like, does it's so tiny compared to that? And you know, those companies are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The music side of things, yeah. and they just considered like, ah, uh, whatever. Yeah, chump change. <laughs> Yeah, um, I can't, I don't know. I want to play Red Dead Redemption. I even thought about buying a console for home because I was seeing it, but I can also see how I just get addicted to it and just spend I, hours and hours. Because this, Kenny was saying this game, he's been playing for about seventy gameplay hours because each chapter has got you know twelve missions that each take thirty to forty minutes to complete. So it's just this endless universe you could get lost in.
3: Mm. I mean, I used to be addicted to Halo, like the Halo 1 and 2. I would dream about playing Halo. But then like, whatever happened, I just hit a wall. I don't have any fear of being addicted to anything like that anymore because something there's still something very unsatisfying about it after about an hour. You just hit this wall where you're like, I don't give a shit about this, not real. And then you move on.
0: <laughs> yeah, obviously... You- some part of your brain is able to differentiate even if the same trigger is being pulled in mm-hmm. some center in your brain it there is some other part of your brain that realizes what's pulling the trigger that it's not a real uh, reaction
3: there's something exhausting about it i think eventually
0: it's very it's very
3: entertaining and stuff but then you when you get when you get lost in a world like that it's a bit like a you know you want the movie to end you don't want the movie to go on forever
2: yeah. I, I mean, Halo 2, I think, was the last time I played games for any length of time. And I do just remember a feeling of... It, it's not a complete exhaustion. It's like an exhaustion of ser- of a certain part of your energy, you know? Mm. Uh, and I used to feel the same way about poker. We used to play so much poker, um, where play for sometimes six hours or eight hours, you know, on a really long thing. And that whole time, there's an, a sort of constant... Release of adrenaline because it's very hard to detach yourself from winning or losing, and by the end of it just like you're un in a, you're exhausted in an unbalanced way it's not like you worked all day or you worked out or you did something that was draining you kind of evenly it's draining certain parts of you and that and that, that was uncomfortable
0: what is that is that is that called adrenal fatigue is that what causes that or is, i mean obviously i'm sure certain uh, lots of things uh, what, can
3: cause i don't know that. what causes it, but yeah people get it where you mean where they're they just they Wait, make,
2: your adrenals start sort of stepping in when when other organs or other functions are not working properly so you rely well, on adrenaline I think adrenaline. adrenal
3: fatigue is very is rare but it's when your adrenal glands can't make enough adrenaline Right but it's because they're being overused perhaps you know via from, from stress or whatever Yeah but I think that's so difficult because they're so they recover so quickly so they have you know a bit like a What's his name? Um, Keith Jarrett. He got chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, and he he was like bedridden for months and couldn't figure out why or what it was. What was the cause?
1: I have a He's playing t- too much Halo.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I have a tiny uh, idea or sensation of what caused his uh, chronic fatigue. You know, this is just this is just a, a sumpt- or a mm. presumption. But last night at the show, I played. 16 bars are one of the best solos ever, I thought, on Birds Do It. And I really felt very in the moment, you know, quote, in the moment, and uh, really kind of gave it my all, my 110%. And I, I don't know, I, I really connected for 16 bars, and then I kind of lost it. And I, you know, my, something like my ego got involved because I wanted to show off or play fast or something. I lost it. But after that 16 bars, I kind of felt this immediate uh, feeling like I'd just run a m- miniature sprint. Mm-hmm. Of just uh, exhaustion, not physical, but uh, emotional exhaustion, you know, mic- a micro version of that. And if you think about someone like Keith Jarrett, who's on a much more extended and across 40, 50 years, been giving so much energy mm-hmm. that I-, I wouldn't surprise me if he re- maybe just reached an end of a certain collection of creative energy within himself that he had to stop and renew yeah. in some way
3: yeah, it is an unusual occupation because he's he it his job is to try to feel something all the time and then put it into his music obviously um yeah and un, un, you know unlike music which is written and re-performed you can go through the motions i think on uh, impro- improv music like that um reminds you more often to try to put some emotion into it and you it's probably very difficult to improvise at his level without being reminded Contributing put, your presence, yeah, with that, yeah, at least without that that perpetual reminder that you, the whole reason you're doing this is to bring some uh, presence and emotion to it.
0: Yeah, the question becomes though, because you would also imagine that that type of exertion, if it's slightly more conscious, would be uh, vivifying rather than um, taking away of energy. Like it should also be giving you energies. You know, yeah, I don't
3: know. I mean, I well, what I what it.
0: I mean by that is, I don't, I'm sure, well, since we're all doing yoga and all that, maybe we all know the feeling of when you do actually really try to do your best within any given moment or a series of it. It does appear to give you a feeling of being invigorated, of giving you energy, of pulling it from somewhere. Whether it's just from your body that you're accessing energy that was there, or whether it's being pulled from outward. You know, obviously that's a bit of a kind of. Fufu speculation, but so there is. It's it's a weird question because it's it's a similar thing for me that there is the, the conservation of energy must apply, but which direction I, yeah. it's flowing in is not always clear.
3: I don't know. I mean, uh, if you watch a Keith Jarrett concert, he's it's hours of that, you know, hours of. So I don't know what that would do to
2: you. Yeah well you can't uh, discount also the factor of the audience where you've got hundreds or thousands of people in a room focusing their attention uh, on the performer and if if he's doing his job correctly there'll there should be some exchange there uh, and you know we've we've definitely felt that at certain shows where there's a connection between the audience and the exchange of energy is has a sort of flowing feel to it as opposed to one directional and um so he you i don't think you get to his level without at least um instinctively addressing that and sensing that and using it and getting better at mastering it in a in the situation of a live performance with an audience
0: yeah well that two directional uh description of how a show goes is really true. Sometimes it's not the artist's fault that the show sucks and then obviously vice versa. Like, there are definite rooms you go into and it's almost impossible to, within the band, create a good show. Like, you can Mm. give it everything you can and sometimes there is not bounce back from the audience. And then obviously vice versa. Sometimes the audience is really into it and the artist is just fucking tired or in a bad mood or whatever.
3: Yeah, remember Liverpool with One Republic? Yeah, that was the craziest part about that was we all thought, both us and One Republic thought, like, man, that was an impossible room to get going. It's impossible to get anything going in that room. And then it was the craziest online response. <laughs> you know, they were so effusive on Twitter and everything like that, but in the room they weren't. It was quite quite bizarre.
1: I wonder if it's also just our inability, or or some an artist's inability to read the room properly like on a very subtle level because yeah we've clearly played shows where we put everything into it and the audience doesn't even react and we can and it it is partly the audience but i wonder if it's also just choosing the wrong way to express it and seeing it and maybe we're not going about it the right way to get the audience on our side because you've seen a good comedian take a dead fucking room and he will try something won't work won't work 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 and then he'll figure something out he'll say oh that's not what's going to get this room going it's something else
0: yeah well that's part of the problem that we you know we are fairly locked to a set so it might be that we go into a room and it's the wrong set for the room but we're not in a we, in the way we're playing these sets, we can't exactly just completely change it because they, like that room, would be really into like a set of all ballads or vice versa. Yeah. So that's where being a comedian or completely improvised jazz musicians would, that would be nice because you would be really being able to play off that room a lot better uh, in, in each given situation.
1: Yeah, there's definitely been the case, though. It's sometimes I think it's the type of audience or, you know, Like, audiences that smoke a lot of weed, sometimes they're great because it's the type of music that connects with them or resonates with them and they're able to um, just kind of float around and get into it. And other times, if it doesn't immediately resonate with them, it's like the energy of the room is completely sucked out and you're playing to uh, a dead room. Like, when we've played a couple shows once or twice in Tucson. Where it was that it was you know opening for a band that has a real kind of pothead crowd and it was like trying it was pulling teeth.
0: Yeah,
3: it's not it's not their f- fault even because remember when we went to that Vince Staples show, it was a great show, and it was great production and the audience was going nuts, but we all had the same reaction to whatever we had smoked, which is that we couldn't even form us we couldn't even speak to each I other. Don't think I think I don't think I went to this. Oh, show. maybe you weren't there. Well, basically, we couldn't even speak to each other. We just all sat and watched the fish swim around on his, his back, you know, his his video production. And there was not... It was like swimming through mud <laughs> to yeah. react well, to something. Well, I've
0: found that if, for, if you want emotional reaction from music, alcohol, obviously, is way better and it, mm. it, because there is something about pot that makes too many things interesting... And they're too specific and you're not necessarily able to pick up on the overall vibe. It turns people insular. It makes it yeah. kind of...
1: I don't even think it needs... It's not even related necessarily to pot or alcohol. Although those, those seems to uh, make it a little bit more apparent. But sometimes different cities have different energies and like it sounds woo-woo just to describe things as energies but there's no doubt you walk into a room or you walk into a city and it's completely different a neighborhood it a completely different from another neighborhood and you can immediately tell when an audience comes in what type of show it's going to be and it's like it's this um kind of natural phenomenon where an audience member or an or an audience has a certain type of um excitement about it and then you feed off it and you're not even you're not even actively or consciously doing it it's just kind of this um reciprocation. It's also,
0: there's a element of judgment, which is why Vancouver is often a harder city we find to feel we, for us to feel like we had a good show because the crowds are basically a lot more judgy. They're, you know, they're more, a lot of them more people involved in the music business or in bands themselves, same thing in LA or Nashville and New York. So you're dealing with not just the normal ups and downs of a crowd's energy, but also now you've got People listening in a completely different way, in a judgmental way. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. They're listening. They're like saying, "Is this good? Is this bad?" And uh, that makes it harder. Uh, but there's LA is often the worst crowds because there is not just a judgment. Like Nashville, it feels like they're judging you in terms of, "Is this good?" or Could I play yeah. this better? And you know, how's the drummer on his eighth notes and that sort of thing. LA has got a whole different layer of judging. Like it's more, they're more like they're judging themselves. Like. Can I show the rest of the audience that I like this band, or are they going to think I'm not cool? Yeah, there's more of a social
3: kind of yeah social fear, and then the, Nashville is definitely it's a you get you, there's so many good players there that they probably could play a lot of the parts better, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, we do that though. That's how we watch shows.
1: Yeah, I was saying because when you know I occasionally go out and watch um, opening yeah. band and when over the last few shows went out and watched fitness i probably just thought like i'm the worst audience member because i'm not i don't really dance i'm not really bobbing my head i'm kind of just listening to it and i can just imagine someone like max or kenny looking out and seeing me and be like who the fuck is this dickhead you know he's not into our music so i a lot of times in a show i'll see one person in the audience that's really just not into it or struggling to get into it, and you think, i got to get that person into it.
3: <laughs> that's uh, It's the same... At th- uh, the comedy store, the comedians don't laugh. The comedians will sit in the back of the store and you'll never hear them laugh. I've, and then Joey Diaz went up once and they were killing themselves. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> that, I guess that's who you want to be. You want to be the comedian that can make other comedians laugh, and you want to be the musician that other musicians actually are forced to applaud. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Even some magician I
3: talked to saying... I do. have two sets of magic, one for other magicians and one for normal audiences because he says I can do shit that's way more impressive to a normal audience and way easier for me, or I can do something which is really difficult for me and only impressive to magicians.
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to stop this podcast right now because – we're going to just go relax. <laughs> it's it's a, our first day off in a little while. Um, we're going to keep these going, though, every week. We'll have some of uh, the other uh, guys from Fitness on, maybe Mo or Mick and Jason or, uh, and Colton, a couple guys from the crew, and then hopefully one or two guests as we go around these different cities and be, bump into some old friends or people that we've met along the way on the road. So um, tune in. Check out our Facebook Messenger channel. If you haven't bought tickets, head to congress.com slash shows. And then don't forget, this Friday, our album is out. Uh, Check that out. It'll be everywhere, Spotify, Apple Music. And in the meantime, if you want to er listen to it early, go to congos.com slash 1929 if you've got tickets and you can listen to a sneak preview. Uh, We'll see you next week, guys. Bye.
2: See ya.